Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people, like you, make better informed money decisions. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Hello, I'm Andrea Fox, a journalist, a broadcaster and the host of The Penny Drops, where I speak to some of the best financial experts out there. Now, this podcast was recorded during the coronavirus outbreak, so please excuse any sound issues as we are all recording remotely. And for the latest information on financial support and benefits, visit gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. Now, on this episode of The Penny Drops, we are discussing how having a disability can impact someone financially and what support is out there to assist them. So today I'm joined by Bez Ely. Hi there, Bez. Hiya. Now, Bez joins us as a benefits advisor for the Disability Law Service, who also advises the MS Society. And Philip Anderson. Hello, Philip. Hi, great to be here. Now, Philip is head of policy from the MS Society. Thank you both for joining me. Firstly, what's some of the work that the MS Society does to support those with multiple cirrhosis? Over 130,000 people live with MS in the UK and Bez on our free MS helpline is one of the people who can provide individual support for anyone who may be struggling. Um, We've also got a project in Wales called the Pontio Project that offers more tailored information and support on employment rights and welfare benefits. And then last but far from least, uh, as the MS Society, we campaign for changes to make the benefit system better for everyone, including people with MS, um, across a whole range of issues. How can living with a disability such as MS impact someone's life financially? Well, MS can be relentless, painful and disabling, and many people do face extra costs because of their condition. This can include things like having to pay for more travel because you have less mobility, higher Mm. utility bills because you're home more, or things like home adaptations and physio appointments to help you manage MS more directly. Um, Research actually shows that living with a neurological condition like MS can cost people an extra £200 a week, so that Mm. really, really adds up. Likewise, MS can often affect your ability to work and many people with MS work part-time or are unable to work at all. So that obviously means less financial stability and a reduced income. Unfortunately, the rates of the main welfare benefits like personal independence payments do not at all cover this gap or compensate for the extra costs and many people with MS are living in poverty. Mm. And that is, you mentioned the word benefits there. So Can you talk us through what sort of disability-related financial support is out there for people? Sure, yeah. So um, most people have heard of universal credit, which is the the main means-tested benefits that new benefit claimants can claim to help with living costs. So um, bills, rents, um, having children, and then there's an extra sickness element as well and childcare costs. Um, And so obviously if you're disabled, then you would... Um, be likely to be looking to get the sickness element of universal credit. Um, and then that's means tested. that's based on your income. So they'll look at your partner's income as well um, and your savings. Um, and that's the kind of earnings replacement benefit. And then there's personal independence payment or disability living allowance. Again, new claimants would be claiming personal independence payment. And that is to kind of, that's for anyone that's not means tested. That is just to recognize that because you have a health condition, a long-term health condition, your life is more expensive. So Mm. as Philip mentioned, you know, you might have extra transport costs. You might be using taxis a lot. You might need to pay for a cleaner or carers, or you might need to buy special foods. 
Um, but just generally your life is going to be a lot more expensive. So that's what personal independence payment and disability living allowance are there for. Um, there's also attendance allowance, which is the kind of equivalent for people over state pension age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also contrib- um, contributory benefits. So and for people that say might not qualify for universal credit because of their savings or partner's income, um, they might be able to claim something called new style employment and support allowance if they've been working for the past three years before they had to stop. Okay. Um, and if they've got um, a family member or friend that cares for them and they're getting personal independence payment, then um, they might be able to get carer's allowance. So there are some interesting ones to account for. I think people might recognise personal independence payment, which I think is sometimes called PIP and disability living allowance, the DLA there. But some other good ones for people who they may not, if they're in caring roles, not realise that they're able to get those. So do you do you think there is enough information out there about what people might be entitled to? I mean, I think there is information out there. I mean, there's information on the gov.uk website and Citizens Advice, but there's just so many benefits that um, it's quite difficult for people to know. And, you know, when when people call me, a lot of them say, you know, they don't have have a clue about benefits or they might have heard of universal credit, but quite a few people haven't heard of new style employment and support allowance. And by the time they find out about it, actually, they've been out of work for, say, two or three years and they don't have the national insurance contributions to claim it. So, um, yeah, I think... um, yeah, it, it would be always be good to have more information. I mean, the MS Society website is very good and there's lots of booklets there as well. But I just think because, you know, there is quite a few benefits out there and it depends what your individual circumstances are as to what would fit you. It is just quite difficult to navigate. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why the MS Benefit Service is really useful to people. Mm. And you mentioned the applying for the benefits and knowing what's out there, but can you even get help filling out those assessment forms? And what happens if maybe you're turned down? Is there a, an appeals process at all? Yeah, so, I mean, if people call the helpline or email in, then um, I can talk through kind of their health condition with them and, um, you know, kind of key points to put down on the form and, and the best approach um, to go with the form. Um, also, services such as Citizens Advice can often give face-to-face help filling in a form if someone um, will find it difficult to do that. Um, and then in terms of, and there's also very good fact sheets from the MS Society and Citizens Advice as well on, on how to fill in a PIP form that kind of go out in quite a lot of detail for each question, which is really helpful. Um, and in terms of if, if people are unsuccessful, um, then they, it's a kind of a two stage process. So the first stage is called a mandatory reconsideration, which is where the DWP Department of Work and Pensions will look at their decision again. And then if, if they still don't change it, then that's when, when you could appeal to a tribunal. And I always advise people that it, both of those stages, if you can get very detailed medical evidence that shows how you fit the criteria, that is what is really helpful. And again, at claiming stage as well, because what they look at is your assessment form, your medical evidence and your assessment, which might be by telephone or it might be face to face. They look at all three of those and it, the more kind of bespoke medical evidence you've got, the more helpful it is to getting the right decision first time around. Wow. I mean, Philip, does this happen quite a lot? Do you find that people are often having to go to tribunals to get the benefits that they need? I mean, it certainly happens more than it should. And a a kind of related problem is actually um, 
there's a lot less sort of legal aid help than there used to be. So actually kind of taking things all the way down the line, so to speak, to get get what you're entitled to is, is a lot harder. And um, unfortunately, we do hear of people that kind of give up because they're just so exhausted fighting fighting the system. Wow. Well, we've talked about some of the benefits that are available out there, getting the information out. But another element, I imagine, is figuring out what benefits people might be entitled to. So is there an easy way to do that? As I say, it will depend on your individual situation. There is benefit calculators online. So there's the website, Turn To Us, with the number two. Um, or if you just um, Google benefits calculators on the gov.uk website, there's a list of a few there. So that's that's more for means-tested benefits like universal credit, council tax support. Um, but um, then there's also these the disability benefits, such as personal independence payment and benefits such as um, carers allowance and employment and support allowance. So, um, you know, the service um, offered through the Disability Law Service and MS Society, you know, people can call and we can advise on on what people might be entitled to that way or you can speak to citizens' advice. But as I say, there are these online benefit calculators and there is information about each individual benefit online. So if people kind of go through that, then then hopefully that will help them work out what they're entitled to. Um, But it can be tricky because you know universal credit is more looking at your finances which might be say a bit simpler to work out yes or no but say with PIP personal independence payment it is very much about how your individual health condition affects your ability to do activities such as preparing a a meal from um, a cooked meal from fresh ingredients or having a shower or changing your clothes or how far you can walk. And so it's not as simple as I've got this health condition, therefore I will get PIP. It will really depend on how that individually impacts you. And again, that's how um, our service can be really helpful. And obviously places like Citizens Advice can help people with that. Yeah. And we have spoken to Turn To Us on this podcast before, so we will link to that episode in the show notes as well. Where should people start if they're having financial difficulty and they have a disability? Like which organisation or support services would you recommend they start with? You've given us some great ones there, but is there a good starting point? I mean, yeah, I work for the Disability Law Service and we have a very busy benefits helpline, but people are always very welcome to call. Um, Also, local citizens' advice um, offices are a really good place to start. And obviously, if people have got MS, they can contact the MS helpline and and speak to us. Um, And there are lots of other... Um, disability charities that have specific helplines for for individual disabilities. So um, yeah, it's helpful to have a look at those because say the MS Society's got bespoke fact sheets um, tailored to people with MS and similarly other organisations have designed similar fact sheets that would be helpful. Okay. And thinking about employers, What sort of support is available for them to make sure that they are across what their employees' rights are and that they're supporting them correctly? So um, I do benefits, but um, my colleague at the Disability Law Service um, advises people with MS on on their employment rights. And again, the MS Society has got a very good kind of overview um, fact sheet on on rights that work. Um, And then obviously there's ACAS, which people can call the helpline for to to find out about their employment rights. Um, 
So yeah, I'd, uh, that would be kind of my suggestions as a first port of call. You know, um, if you look at the MS Society fact sheet on on working with MS and you know all the different implications of you know what to tell your boss if anything and and what reasonable adjustments you might be able to get and things like that. Yeah, and bringing Philip in again, do you think that in terms of um, employers have things got better? in terms of making sure that people with disabilities are getting looked after correctly at work and the right rights, as it were, are in place for them? Um, it's an interesting question. I think they've gotten better in some ways. I think awareness of reasonable adjustments is probably higher than it was, say, 10 years ago. But um, as we've seen through the pandemic, a lot of a lot of the kind of legal rights that people have are very hard to access. Like you have to go a long way down the line. You have to potentially jeopardize your career in order to take someone, you know, an employer to court, for mm-hmm. example. And so if you have a nice boss and you have a good employment culture, you're probably all right. But if you don't, it's really very hard to kind of redress those wrongs often, unfortunately. Mm. And I suppose we mentioned COVID-19. It's already come up. <laughs> So let's delve into that then. Um, COVID-19, has that impacted any of these benefits? So in March 2020, so right at the start of the pandemic, the government increased the standard rate of universal credit and working tax credits by about £20 a week. Uh, so that, that was very welcome. But unfortunately, what it didn't do was apply that same emergency uplift to what we call legacy benefits. So the older benefits that are gradually being replaced by universal credit. And what that means is there's about 1.9 million disabled people being denied the emergency uplift, not because they're in a fundamentally different situation. In fact, sometimes they're in a worse situation, but simply because they're on an older benefit and by the government's own admission would be worse off if they tried to move over to universal credit. Mm -hmm. So it's a really frustrating situation. Um, The MS Society is a prominent member of a, a campaigning a coalition called the Disability Benefits Consortium. And we've been calling on the government to extend the £20 lifeline. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet, but the High Court is actually to decide whether it was lawful for the government not to give people on legacy benefits the same increase. And um, we're expecting that decision in September, so we'll, we'll okay. see them. But for, in our opinion, it was quite discriminatory to to sort of separate people out in this way. Right. So, and in September, we could see that some payments might go to these people if if the ruling goes in your favour. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not automatic, but if the ruling goes in our favour, then uh, you'd expect that the government would have to react to that. Absolutely. Right. And I um, just saying, another sort of change um, that's possibly even positive for people with MS is um, the end of face to face assessments during lockdown, mm. um, just for safety of reasons. Course, yeah. So that. You know, it can be difficult for um, disabled people to get home assessments when they can't travel uh, to a face-to-face assessment centre. So having that telephone assessment has been quite helpful for some people. Um, They found that a bit easier. And it it looks like um, that that might be something that is going to be offered to people in future sort of more generally. So I think there have been some sort of positive things like that. It's interesting, isn't it? There are some things that we've had to do for this pandemic that, like you say might actually be helpful for certain people to maintain those in the future as well. And what work are you doing with the Disability Benefits Consortium? I mentioned a, a, a lot about the work that the, the Disability Benefits Consortium is doing around legacy benefits and this kind of fundamental unfairness mm. where um, 
some people are getting an emergency uplift to help them through the pandemic and others aren't, despite very similar circumstances. Uh, I think the other big thing on the Disability Benefit Consortium's radar is the Health and Disability Green Paper that the government's recently published. And this does um, start to get uh, some ideas to, to help with some of the different areas that we've been talking about today. So, for example, mm -hmm. um, more help for people that might struggle with an assessment to, to fill it out and making sure people get that, making reconsiderations easier and more straightforward. Um, we are cautious about some of the proposals and some of the sort of longer term thinking around how benefits could be fundamentally reformed could be a good thing, but could also very much not be. Um, we'll be sending out questions to our community to help us with our response, but people can also complete the survey directly on the gov.uk website. And right. the DWP are also planning on running events, virtual and face to face, to sort of hear from people directly. And if people are interested, then... Um, there's more details again on the website. Great, yeah. And is there a time frame for people to get involved in having putting their their thoughts forward for the health and disability green paper? Interesting question. Um, the The current deadline is is uh, mid October, the eleventh of October. However, okay. we're actually asking the DWP for a bit more time because, right. uh, given the breadth of the consultation and the fact that it's over the summer, we we do think that would be helpful. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Um, let's talk grants then. Are there ever grants available to help cover costs? Um, so you mentioned Turn to Us and we've mentioned that earlier. So, mm. um, yeah, that, that's a really good source of information for, for sort of generally to see if there's any grants available for people. Um, it's, yeah, it's a slightly sort of separate issue to, to benefits, but sometimes you can get things like if you, um, have energy debt, sometimes your energy company might be able to give you a grant. And then there's things, um, there are specific energy grants um, for certain people on benefits. Okay. And when it comes to things like tax credits, are there any other benefits in terms of tax credits that are available? So tax credits is one of the um, benefits that's been replaced by universal credit. Right. So if someone is not currently claiming tax credits, um, and hasn't recently, then then they won't be able to claim. If they're already receiving tax credits, then um, then that would continue until um, they're moved over to universal credit, um, which is likely to be in twenty twenty four. Um, so, okay. so if you're getting child tax credit and you start working, you might be able to get working tax credit to help you when you start working, for example. Yeah, and we've mentioned that travel can be an issue for some people living with a disability, but are there any vehicle or transport benefits and schemes that can help support them? So um, if someone's getting the top mobility rate of personal independence payment or disability living allowance, um, then they can access the mobility scheme if they would like to, where they can rent a um, disability accessible vehicle um, so they can kind of swap their money for that. Um, and also if they get either rate of... Um, the mobility side of it or the moving around section, then you can get either a 50% reduction on your vehicle tax or a 100% exemption. Um, and yeah, the dis disabled person's rail card is there for people with mobility um, impairments. So that, that could be something available. And then there's also the blue badge scheme to allow um, people who have got mobility impairment to park close to places that they, they need to get to. Yeah, that would be the one that I think lots of people will have seen before, won't it? And yeah. what help is available when it comes to people's homes and their housing? 
So, yeah, so you've got in universal credit and the old um, legacy benefit, housing benefit, you've kind of got support with rent. Um, universal credit also has the thing that if you're if you're not working and you've been on universal credit for nine months, then you might be able to get a loan to help you with your mortgage interest payments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's the council tax support if you're on a low income you might be able to get a reduction in your council tax if you live alone you should be able to get a 25 percent discount on your council tax single person discount and um, if you um, use a wheelchair and have a, a home that is um, adapted so that you can move freely in a wheelchair or you use a separate room in your property um, for reasons to do with your health condition then you might be able to get a reduction in, in your council tax band and then kind of looking at kind of community care side of things, which which my colleague deals with. And um, there is the disabled facilities grants for people on low incomes who might need adaptions to their house to help them um, move around and, and do kind of essential activities in their home. All right. And I mean, it's all good things for people to be looking into, really, isn't it? Especially to do with council tax. And mm. when we think about students out there with a disability, what support's available for them? So benefits can be tricky. They can, they if they're entitled, you know, based on how their health condition affects them, they, they can look at personal independence payment um, as something that they might be able to claim. And um, obviously standard student loans uh, may be available and there is a disabled students grant, which which they might be entitled to. Things like universal credit and employment and support allowance can be trickier for them to claim though. So they should kind of get specialist benefits advice if, if they want to look into that. And what about uh, retirees, from students to retirees? What about retirees living with a disability? Yeah, so um, so, so if you're already getting PIP or disability living allowance before you reach state pension age, then that will continue after you reach state pension age, although the mobility section of it that you get cannot be increased once you have reached over state pension age. and then um, if you haven't claimed a disability benefit and, and you know you do need to after you've reached state pension age, then you might be able to get attendance allowance, which looks more at kind of personal care needs and daily activities. Um, and then sort of generally um, there is the means-tested benefit pension credit, which you might be able to get if your state pension and any other pensions you're getting or any other income um, you know, is, is low and, and you might need to top up. And that has, if you... Um, have a if you get PIP or DLA or attendance allowance, you might be able to get an increased amount of pension credit depending on your circumstances. Just to recognise that, yeah. So it's worth looking into all of those currently. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and we'll put links to all of those in the show notes as always. But we are nearly at the end of our time today. Thank you for all of this information. So much to take in. But can I ask both of you what would your top takeaways from this podcast be? If people could just remember one of the little nuggets that you've given us today. Um, I guess I would always say, yeah, do seek advice. If you're not sure if you're entitled to benefits, you've got nothing to lose by checking. So yeah, if you've got MS, um, do contact the MS helpline to to find out what benefits you might be entitled to. Or if you don't have MS, then you can go to local citizens advice or use the turn to us benefits calculator. Thanks, Bez. What about yourself, Philip? Yeah, I'd say there are people out there that can help you. It may take a bit of finding, but if you're you're struggling with the complexity of the system, mm. you know, don't give up. Uh, and I, I'd also say that, well, the, 
the work that people like Bez do in providing advice is absolutely essential. I think the conversation also outlines that the, the system just isn't really fit for purpose and isn't really reflective of the values I think we should have as society. The MS Society is a campaigning organization and we do believe passionately in in sort of raising your voice around injustice. And we'd also encourage people to think about getting involved in some of the disability benefits consortium campaigns we've been talking about, or um, more locally talking to their MP and things like that. Like your voice is a powerful thing always, and especially in a context like this. Yeah, I love that. Make yourself heard. Well, thank you both for everything today. We are at our final question, where we like to try and lighten the mood and take you back in time. If you had a piece of advice to give your 18-year-old self, what would it be? Who's going to go first? <laughs> Bez, can I ask you? Sure. Um, well, I don't, I don't know if this is appropriate, but yeah, I... Um, I started doing stand-up comedy two years ago and I really enjoy it. So I guess I'd probably say like, try stand-up comedy when you're 18 because then I'll enjoy it for longer. (laughs) Oh, that's a good, I've done that as well. It's, I've recommended to so many people. It's such a fun thing to do. Yeah. Oh, Philip, what about your 18-year-old self? Any stand-up comedy wishes? Uh, I've never done stand-up comedy, so I I couldn't tell my 18-year-old self. Well, me and Bez recommend it, so there we go. (laughs) (laughs) I'll mention that. I'd also, uh, I'd tell him, you know, hair gel just is not the right move. Like, don't waste your time trying different styles, just move on. And, um, you know, maybe slightly more seriously, I'd also say uh, it's more foolish to aim too low than too high and, you know, believe in yourself. Oh, wow. That is a lovely one. Yeah. Oh, Philip and Bez, thank you so much. So much information and so many useful useful bits of advice today um useful info there and i really appreciate your time uh, philip and bez thank you so much for joining me on the penny drops no problem thanks very much for having us it's been a pleasure thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the penny drops we hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances we'd love to hear what you think of the series so please do leave us a review or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover you can get in touch at the penny drops at royallondon.com this podcast series is brought to you by royal london the uk's largest mutual life pensions and investment company royal london recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions all views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of royal london Royal London.